One of the great challenges in uh, living a Christian life faithfully in today's society is that we don't get a lot of visual reminders to prompt us throughout the day to think about our Lord. Now, it is absolutely the case and obvious that every aspect of our lives is touched by the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ has to impact every part of who we are. But think about how often you can go through an entire day and not be prompted by something that you see to think about the gospel message, to think about Jesus. It's not that uh, things are bad for us or that we're terrible Christians. It's just that there's so many things that are happening in our world that sometimes, and we've got so many responsibilities, that nothing triggers us to associate and to say, hey, we've got to think through the gospel message when it comes to this. Uh, imagine how often you can go through, say, uh, a week in July and never see anything that prompts you to think about the gospel message. That's certainly not the case when it comes to Christmas. The Christmas season is filled with not just the visual reminders, but with uh, things that we hear, with the spirit of the age, all the kind of things in which we are easily uh, can associate with the Christmas season, prompts us visually uh, and audi- audibly and all the other ways to think about something about the gospel message. So what I want to do for us today is, is remind you of some of those visual prompts so that then particularly, let's say just tomorrow, Tomorrow, when you get a chance uh, to celebrating Christmas in whatever fashion you will do, uh, to see if, if not, you can be prompted to associate some of the things in which we're talking about with the gospel message, some of the things in which we see. For instance, think about how long you can go, say, in July and never think about an angel. Okay, you, you probably don't see a lot of angels. Now, some of you collect angels, statues, and things like that, so that's maybe not the case. But for the bulk of us, You can go through a whole week easily in July and never think about an angel. But on the other hand, during the Christmas season, angels pop up all the time in our songs as we're singing, on the radio as we're driving around and through different things. For instance, for a lot of people, they have angels on the top of Christmas trees. To the best of my ability as I've tried to look this data up, uh, there are slightly more than half of Christmas trees are topped by stars. And the rest are topped by angels. Most of them are topped by angels. So just really quickly, if you have a Christmas tree, is it star? Hands? Okay. Angels? Angels? Okay, we are about that, we're about that kind of setup. Okay, so somehow my guess is tomorrow you're going to have the opportunity to, to think of an angel. You're either going to see one at the top of the tree for the half of us that are doing it right and for the half of you that are doing it wrong. There'll be some other reason why you will be prompted to think of an angel. Okay, so let's take the story we just heard. The angels appearing to the shepherds and the proclaiming the coming of Jesus Christ. This is a story that many of you, if you've been around churches at all, you have heard this story before. So what about that story prompts us, and when you see an angel, what is it that I want you to think about? Okay, I just want you to think for a second about the mood of the angels. What's the, what's the mood When we read that story, I tried to read it with a certain amount of inflection, etc., etc., but when you first hear that story, what's the mood of the angels? Are they sad? Are they unhappy? Are they frustrated? Okay, no, clearly they're they're happy. They're giddy. They're, you know, they're so overwhelmed with joy and with excitement that now there are other passages in the Scriptures that talk about the angels, and they're not always giddy. They're not always happy. 
But they are here. In our story in Luke, they are excited. They are overcome. Now, why is that? They are excited. They are giddy. Here's a little-known fact about the angels. The angels long to understand how God is going to save humanity. That's one of the phrases. That's a paraphrase from 1 Peter chapter 1. The angels long to see. They, long, they, they spend their existence, angels, spend their existence trying to figure out how God is going to save humanity. It's their life's purpose to figure out what God is doing here and to participate in what God is about. And so obviously, when it comes time for God to bring His baby into this world, send Christ into the world, the angels are get a window into this thing that they've been desperate to figure out ever since God created the world and Adam and Eve fell, sending the world into chaos and sin. Suddenly now the angels have been, this is what we've been waiting for. And so they're overjoyed. They're really excited. First, secondly, angels, for those of you who know Greek, which I'm sure is the most of you, uh, the word angel actually means messenger. And here the angels are doing what they were created to do. Hey, we get to go out and share with people about the good news of Jesus Christ. They can talk about Jesus coming. Finally, again, angels have been around for a long time and they've been waiting to see how God is going to solve this problem of, of sin in this world. And lo and behold, now they finally see it and they can fulfill their purpose of sharing with other people. The angels are giddy with excitement. And how do they show that? Here's the great thing for the angels. The angels, you can even imagine them dancing or like the enthusiasm which the angels are demonstrating and they're all excited, etc. And yet, how do they express that? They turn that not towards the joy that they show to the shepherds, not to the joy that they show to one another. They turn that to praise to God. Glory to God in the highest. That's the, the crux of their excitement. The crux of their passion and joy is to say, hey, this is all for God's glory. And this is what I'm going to get excited about. This is what I'm going to get wired for and how it's going to come across in everything I do. And a great joy for you tomorrow when you're sitting around opening a presence, when you're having family time, whatever you're, when you're driving from one spot to the next and you hear the song about the angels, it triggers you to have that same passion, that same excitement, to be a messenger just like the angels were and to give glory to God. If we have few visual cues of angels throughout the year, my guess is that we have almost no visual cues of shepherds throughout the year. Unless you happen to be somebody that either is a shepherd yourself or lives near a farm that where some sheep are present, my guess is that you never see, the idea of a shepherd never triggers in your mind throughout the year, unless, of course, at Christmas. At Christmas time, suddenly we see shepherds, we hear about shepherds and all that kind of stuff. Now, the mood of this picture, go back again to Luke chapter 2 when the uh, angels show up, and I am trying to give you this picture that the angels are just overflowing with joy and giddiness. They can barely control themselves. Um, but if you think that a massive party is going on, you're kind of missing what actually happens because what's the mood of the shepherds? If the angels are giddy, how are the shepherds feeling? The shepherds are 
terrified. And that's the best way of understanding the word here, is that they're just not scared, they're just not fearful. The shepherds are terrified at what takes place. So you've got half of the crowd, you know, you can picture the scene that's happening out there. Half of the crowd are dancing and they're overwhelmed with joy and the other half are cowering and they're just terrified of what's happening uh, going on here as they see the angels are pronouncing. Now, there's a couple of reasons for their fear, their great terror. Uh, The first is something really odd is going on. Uh, You know, anytime you see something super strange, uh, there's a little bit of a fear base or a little bit of terror that goes on here. So an angel suddenly shows up, and they know it's an angel for whatever. I don't know if it has a placard that says that it's an angel or whatever. But they know it's an angel, and they're rightly terrified because they don't normally see angels. So they're scared about that. But this angel, we're told, shows up with the splendor of God. And so you've got not just... An angel, something weird happening, but something weird happens with the splendor of God all over the place. Now, we need to recognize something. There's nothing in the scriptures that indicates that the shepherds were doing anything wrong. They weren't, you know, doing something evil or bad or something like that, and suddenly the flashlight from heaven shines on them and they get all terrified or scared. None of that seems to be taking place. It is simply the fact that suddenly the glory of the Lord is present. And that appropriately scares the shepherds. Not because they're doing something wrong, but simply because the glory of God is such that it overwhelms them and causes fear in their hearts. Now part of that, and this takes a little bit of reordering because we strive hard in our society, as I believe we should, to be a classless society, we, we struggle hard to embrace the understanding that the shepherds were the lowest, if not the lowest rung, they were way down the rung in society. They were low class, they, and they viewed themselves that way. They understood that they were at the bottom of the heap. They were nobody's great pleasure that was going on here. And yet, the most powerful, overwhelming beings in the universe, the angels, come to who? To these lowly, humble shepherds. And I think there's only one possible way of understanding this, particularly when we couple this with the later story in the Scripture where the wise men show up and we recognize of the wise men that they were very wealthy, rich, upper class people. There is nothing but bottom line being communicated from the very start that the Gospel is for everyone from the top of society, even all the way up to the most powerful beings, the angels, all the way down to the lowest of society, everyone hears the Gospel message. Everyone hears that message that Christ came to redeem the world and to bring joy into God's creation. That's the the message the angels, that the shepherds hear. Now, the shepherds hear this message in their timidity in their fear and you have that wonderful message opener that should lead all of us as we talk with one another fear not do not be afraid rather hear the good news of the gospel message that jesus christ is born and what do the shepherds do now 
tomorrow. I don't know if you've got a manger scene set up or if you're going to hear a song that reminds you of the angels, sorry, of the shepherds, or if you have a candy cane and that's going to remind you of the hook. Somewhere tomorrow I trust that you're going to think of the shepherds. And as you do, remind yourself that our response, your response, should be the exact same as the shepherds. Because what do the shepherds do? The shepherds go to Him. They just don't go to Him. They run to Him. The text says, look back in in Luke chapter 2 for yourself. You can pick this up. The shepherds move with haste to go see the child. They run to Jesus. That is the call. That is the message for every one of us. And when you hear of the shepherds tomorrow or when you see something that triggers in your mind the shepherds, remind yourself right there at that minute, I need to run to Jesus anew in my heart. And then what happens once they see Him? Most of the folks in the room here are going to identify themselves as Christians. What is your response once you have seen the Lord? They went away praising God. When you see the shepherds tomorrow, when you're prompted, think, I am to run to the Lord and I am to praise my God. Why? What is so good about praise? Praise is the way in which we can respond to the goodness of our God. Our God has given to us the greatest of all gifts that the angels are giddy about, that the shepherds are so caught up in, in the midst of their humbleness, in the midst of their self-doubt and their fear. They run to Jesus so that they can offer praise. Praise is that where we give of ourselves in response to what the Lord has given to us. And we have that opportunity every week formally in worship but you have it every opportunity, every day to respond to the Lord by offering something to Him. A prayer, a praise, and part of that is modeled through the giving of our tithes and our offerings. And so at this time, we are going to take an offering here at our spot. And this is an opportunity not just to see the plate as it goes past you, but for you to take a minute during that time and to give your thanks to God, your praise to the Lord, as the shepherds do for the good things that God has done for us. This time, allow me to pray for the offering as it comes for us. Lord, we thank You so much again for the gift of Your Son. And we want to praise You. Lord, we want to praise You with our words. We want to praise You with our thoughts. We want to praise You, Lord, with our gifts, the things that You have given to us. Lord, You have been beyond overwhelmingly blessed to us. Help us to give back to You with that same Spirit that reflects the praise that You are due because of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name that we pray. Amen. If you're not likely to see a shepherd through the year, if you don't come from a Catholic background, now if you come from a Catholic background, you will run into visual images of Mary that will be prompted in your mind. But if you come from a Protestant background, if you're a member of this church, for instance, Mary will not cross your deck very often at all. It's going to be hard through the year for you to imagine having some visual image that prompts you to think of Mary. But Mary is an important character in our storyline, and so it behooves us 
to ask the same question we've been asking here. While the angels are overwhelmed with excitement and the shepherds are initially fearful and then curious enough to go to see Jesus, how is it that Mary responds to the story? Well, Mary, we are told, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, again, you're not likely to see visual cues of Mary that will prompt you, except during Christmas. My guess is that a number of you have some type of a nativity scene of some sort uh, that probably has a Mary figure in the nativity. And my guess is, I can guess right away, that your Mary uh, figurine there in your nativity scene is going to be uh, covered in, uh, in uh, blue cloth of sorts. Um, as a matter of fact, I would love to know if your Mary is not covered in blue. Blue is the traditional uh, covering that Mary has. It dates it back to the Byzantine Empire uh, when the Byzantine rulers were covered in blue. And so Mary, uh, as the Empress of Heaven, uh, has a blue shawl, etc., etc. And although Protestants tend to have a different understanding of Mary and her role in the salvific effort, uh, nevertheless, my guess is that your nativity scene has Mary all decked out in blue. If she's not, I would be interested in hearing about that, incidentally. Uh, but uh, given that fact that you are likely to run into some imagery of Mary or hear a story of Mary or hear a song of Mary tomorrow or surrounding the Christmas time, how are we to be prompted in our own lives to think about this? What is it from Mary that prompts us? Okay, if the angels are giddy... If the shepherds are fearful and then curious, how is Mary? We are told that Mary pondered all of these things, treasuring them up, and pondered them in her heart. Now, for us, if you would say that about me, that I'm pondering something in my heart or I'm uh, treasuring something up, uh, I think the idea would be that I am valuing it and that I'm holding it close to my soul and that I promise I will never forget it or something along those lines. And I think to some extent that's kind of the imagery we get here about Mary. But it's interesting, if you have your Scriptures open and you look at the text that I've been reading in verse 19 there, the verse marking begins with the word but. So you've got the angels all excited. You've got the shepherds that show up to see baby Jesus, and while they're there, they're telling the story, and everybody else is in awe and wonder at what the shepherds are saying, but Mary is a but, but she has pondered these things in her heart, and indeed, a little bit later in this same chapter, two different times incidentally, Mary is told to ponder things, and in both instances, it is pondering not the joy, not the great glory of what she is hearing. But there is the shadow of the cross that overflows Mary's thoughts. Yes, she's just given birth. Yes, she's aware that she has given birth to the Son of God. Yes, she's aware that she's given birth to the Savior of this world. And yet, unlike the angels, where we're just told or just excited that joy to the world has come, unlike the shepherds that are ecstatic that the Savior is here, Mary has some kind of an inkling of what that means. What does it mean? It is not just the joy of a birth. It is not just the excitement that God has come to earth. It is what that means. And what that means, of course, is the cross of Jesus Christ.
never can we separate the joy, the celebration of Christmas from the death of Good Friday and the resurrection of Easter. We can never do that. And Mary, Mary's role in this text, helps identify that for us. Mary is said to ponder these things in her heart. Now, for you and I, that would mean that we hold it close or that it's part of, you know, that it's intimate to us, something like that. The heart is the source of being for the authors of the Scriptures. Mary here is being shaped and molded. Her very existence is being shaped by the birth of this Savior. But her her recognition that that birth is going to come at a huge cost. The cost of her son's life so that we might all be saved. Sometime tomorrow or in the next couple days, I hope you hear a song about Mary or if you have a nativity scene and you go home to check to see indeed if Mary is decked out in blue. I think she will be. Um, Somewhere along the line, Mary is going to remind you that as much as celebration is appropriate for what we're doing tonight and for what we will do tomorrow, in the midst of that celebration is the shadow of the cross. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing for you and for me. Because without that, the promise of a Savior really can't come. See, the promise of the Savior is God with us. Not God stopping by for a visit, but rather Emmanuel, God with us at all moments of our time. And that's only possible through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. If you're not likely, as a Protestant at least, if you're not Catholic background, if you're not likely to run across an image of Mary, you're very much so not likely to run across an image of Jesus. Uh, as Protestants, that's something that we simply don't wrap ourselves around very often, except, of course, during Christmas. During Christmas, we have little baby Jesuses in our nativities, at least many folks do, And so there's a chance that somehow tomorrow you'll get a visual cue about the baby Jesus. Of course, my hope is that now on this score at least, you won't need the visual cue. Uh, On this score, we can recognize that Christmas is indeed about the birth of Jesus Christ. And no matter what you're doing tomorrow, if you're with family or if you're driving from one spot to another, if by by yourself, opening gifts, whatever, is going on, you will have a moment or a time to reflect upon the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, I was uh, uh, one of the few things that my family did when I when we were when I was growing up uh, that stuck in my mind religiously was that my father had us sing Happy Birthday to Jesus on Christmas. We're not going to do that. Um, uh, but he, we did that, and I always thought, he gads, that's a little, you know, a little whatever. Um, and when I saw my wife going through uh, uh, giving birth to my children, I right then and there committed myself. I thought, 
my kids aren't doing anything right now. I mean, it's my, it's my wife is doing all the work. And so I committed myself that uh, on their birthday, I was going to make a big deal of Kelly. I have failed. I, I simply have not done that. Like everybody else, I got caught up in celebrating my kids. But let's face it, the baby is pretty passive during the birthing. I mean, they have almost nothing to do with the conception process. And they certainly don't have much to do with the birthing process. It's something that happens to them. Now, I don't know all the physiology, and somebody's going to come up and say that, you know, the baby secretes whatever hormones that trigger the... Okay, I don't know. The bottom line is, being born is something that overwhelmingly happens to you. And so here we get to the Christmas story, and everything is focused around something, the coming of Jesus Christ, where the baby just happened to be born. The baby didn't do anything. Well, you know, I can understand us talking about the angels. They showed up and they are all excited. And the shepherds, they run to Jesus whenever they get the chance. And Mary, even Mary, ponders in her heart. I mean, all these things are active. And then, But the focus of the story we know is Jesus Christ. But there's a baby, he just kind of, you know, it happened to him. It's hard to... But that's, of course, not the way the Scriptures speak. Now, they do say, frequently enough, that the Father sent the Son to the world. That God sent Jesus into the world. And so, to some extent, in that case, we get the picture of passive. It happened to Jesus. The Father, God, sends Jesus. But often enough, in the Scriptures, more often than Jesus being something passive, it just happening to Him, the picture is that Jesus is the active one here. That Christ wasn't just sent to the world, but Christ decided to come to the world. That this birth of this child is somehow different than every other birth. Every other birth happens to the child. And the baby is passive. And here we have a picture that the birth of Jesus was part of Jesus' intent and purpose for coming into this world. And so we have this picture when we get to the Scriptures and we get to this story not of Jesus being just a sideshow of what happened, but He's the focus of what happened because of His decision to come into this world. Now, I desperately want a Savior who has saved me from my sin and has blessed me like every story that the angels sing about everything they've talked about. But I have more than that. I have a Savior that from all eternity determined to come to earth from the very beginning of creation and before this Savior had you and had me in mind and determined to come to save us. That's what we see when we see Jesus Christ. That's why whenever the angels are all giddy with excitement and the shepherds are 
rushing to see Jesus, and Mary is pondering this in her heart. That's why all of those images ultimately drive us to Jesus Christ. Not because of something that happened to Him, but because of something that He has done for you and for me. He has come to this world so that He might be your Savior, so that He might be my Savior.